Hello, welcome to Watch Party Lord of the Rings, where we look at Lord of the Rings through the lens of adaptation. I am here with my wonderful co-host, Jen Gallagher, a.k.a. Yarian. And I am here with my wonderful co-host, Elendil, who was featured prominently a fan favorite, a new fan favorite. I'm going to venture to say that. I don't think he was really new. I mean, he's been a favorite ever since we got a glimpse of that foppish hair. For people who are new to the show, people who are new to the show, folks, today you're getting our higgity higgity hot takes. (laughs) Higgity hot takes? I like that. It's a work in progress for the title for these episodes. It could be (laughs) Sam's Gamgee's hot potato hot takes. I don't know. If you have ideas, send them to us. Both of those are are winners. Both of those are are... fiery hot winners for names. (laughs) They're good. Really good stuff here. You have to promise to say higgity hot takes at the start. Higgity hot takes. <laughs> I'll sing it every time. Um, so episode three, man, man, blew my mind. This I'm was, flipping out over here. It was a good episode. It was the strongest was by far, right? So I mean, good. The best one by far. The best one by far. It I'm telling you, it was some good television. We're gonna really dig into this. We're not gonna go scene by scene, but I do think we should try to do, you know, storyline by storyline. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. um there was just so much here. I think and first I think first we need to we need to confess something to our audience. I think we need to confess. This okay. is it's not Thursday night. We're not recording on Thursday night. We're recording on Friday night. A day late. That's right. A day late. It's true. Day late and a dollar short. We're we're <laughs> we're ashamed. We're ashamed. You know, it's it's actually so embarrassing. It's really embarrassing in a funny way. We've been anticipating this show for like eighteen months, go close to two years now. And yet we did not know what day the show would air where we live. But it was confusing. I mean, they said what I was going off was they said new episodes Fridays on Amazon it is not Prime. Our fault. So this- it is all the big bad corporation's fault. <laughs> That's right. They should have they, they gotta post maybe it is somewhere, we just don't know. They gotta post a list of like the time it is it airs by time zone. Because yeah, I was frantically clear. searching the internet and getting different answers and like, what's going on here? I, I like panic texted Michael <laughs> and was like, I don't even have stuff to make our food. <laughs> yeah, it's we've been going, we've been doing all this work to like, we got recipes that were this whole community of people making recipes and making drinks and everybody's like gearing up to watch it together at the same time. And here we are, the organizers who are so disorganized, we're, we don't even know what day it's going. So yeah, we text each other like in the morning on Thursday because we're starting to see like, oh, it's coming tonight and we're like wait a minute is it airing tonight tonight so i didn't even make anything night of uh, i obviously we both watched it thursday night because we figured it out in time but i didn't have any of my food made i actually was sick i was like very sick and i had family visiting so i was like the family watched it with me but family visiting so we didn't make anything didn't have any food i was at work it was just like a total cluster um but i still got to watch it and i i made up for it because i made the food and the drink Tonight, so I I actually got my my uh, Harfoot smash. Oh, beautiful! And uh, and how do you like it? It's great. It's great. Uh, I ended up doing instead of bourbon, I did uh, whiskey because I had I had that in the house and I didn't want to go out buy a whole another bottle of bourbon that would sit in my cupboard for ten years. But right. uh, it was it was good. <laughs> it was very good. And uh, I love basil again. Lemon, nice nice freshness. You really can't go wrong with lemon. Like you could have it could be a pile of sludge. You just squeeze some lemon on there, and then it's it's pretty and, drinkable. Yeah, 
I agree. Um, I have fresh lemons growing in my yard, and I use those. And mint. I feel the same way about mint. Yeah. Like anything that you can throw mint into just like elevates it so yeah. much. It's kind of cheating, honestly. Now that I'm like drinking more cocktails for this show, it's like, yeah, let's just cheat and like throw some mint in there, throw some lime lemon in there. It's like, oh, this is great. Now it tastes good. Yeah, exactly. Now it tastes good. I did. So I made both things though for the food. I made the venison. Um, I didn't actually use venison. I used beef. Because where do you get venison? I don't know. Like maybe if I lived in Mississippi, I could go to like a a, a roadside uh, gas station in the middle of nowhere, and they'd have some like roadkill venison I could buy. But could have uh, killed I, it yourself. Like, yeah, <laughs> where in Phoenix is there venison? I don't even know. Um, but I didn't get venison, and I got beef. But it was great. That was very that was very very good. Like the glaze was awesome, uh, and I also made Elrond's bannocks, which Matt kept calling Elrond's butt cakes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and giggling like a child, which is wonderful. Um, but uh, I'm pretty sure I did it wrong because they were like, I checked the recipe, like all the proportions are right. But when I cooked them up, they were just like dust. Like there's not enough liquid. So they didn't cohere. Like it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a thick, like unleavened type of breakfast. Maybe bread. your oven. Yeah. Elevate. Altitude plays a role. I think that's, this. well, I think that's, that's it. And there's no moisture in, in Arizona. So like baking is always a little different here. And I didn't factor that in. And so it didn't like come together and it was, it was still very, very tasty, but it was kind of like a crumble. Like it was like, I was eating a crumble. Like I, I need to put it on some yogurt and then it would be perfect. Anyway, well, you still have six weeks of recipes to nail it. I know. Well, it's a, it's an adventure. Even if like I have a fail where like I make it wrong, it's all like kind of part of the fun. Yeah. You learn something. Absolutely. Maybe yeah. it's just cause I had too many hard foot smashes and I just ruined the recipe. Too many har- Man, that's good I was, stuff. Har- I was hard foot smashed. I, I really look forward to the cocktails every week, I gotta say. And <laughs> yeah, the recipes, <laughs> but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's let's get to the recipe the recipe, the show, which I I'm dying to talk about because we both enjoyed the first two episodes and we enjoyed talking about them. But I think this mm-hmm. episode number three, uh, just speaking for myself, was the first of the three where I was like, This episode this is, is it. good from front to back. Like this is yes. And if I wasn't into Lord of the Rings, I would I would confidently say I would enjoy this episode. It was so. It good. just stands on its own two feet. It's this show has hit its stride with yeah. this episode. They really delivered, and it was the most Tolkien esque episode. Yeah. They had oh, everything yeah. in it. They had the uh, all the, to- the classic Tolkien themes you want to see, right? You want like the destruction of nature, yeah. and uh, you know leaving the past, the past and the future, the tension there, immortality versus you know a mortality theme all these different like very tolkienian themes are are front and center and um light darkness everything everything you wanted to see i just got so much out of it i thought the cinematography was beautiful as well um this director loves slow-mo shots (laughs) but they totally worked for me Um, yeah i agree it, it was great i have no complaints about the dialogue none which is um, good because that's that's numero uno for you is the dialogue. That's my number one, and this was great. I almost was like, were there different writers for this episode? I uh, need to double check. I w- if yeah, they we were should the go back same- and check. Let's go back and check. I'm sorry that I should have done that beforehand, but I will go back and check because it just was so – it was another level. It was Jennifer Hutchins, I know, is credited as the writer. Um, So I'll, we'll we'll check that while we're talking here, but that – it might have actually been a different writer because obviously there's a whole well there's a whole writing room right there's a whole writer's room yeah a lot of people it's are collaborative so i don't know how they decide who gets credited for what episodes 
Um, but it may be different people had more uh, impact on this particular episode. I don't know. That's interesting. We'll have to look into that. Well, hats um, off to whoever wrote the episode. And obviously, Wayne yeah. Shea Yip, your... I loved some of the cool camera work here. Like oh, as yeah. Iran Deer is climbing up the tree, the camera's actually on a boon going down and like just different, really interesting shots that are captivating. Yeah, let's start uh, let's start with the Aaron Deer orc plotline because that's where we it. start the episode. And I think yeah. that's where uh they were they started doing the most different things like cinematically in terms in terms of cinematography, and I really appreciated what they were doing with the orcs. Um you know, we wake up, we wake up, we start the episode with Arundir kind of getting dragged in, basically unconscious. And immediately I was struck by, like, their use of the sound design, the mm-hmm. the lighting and the darkness. Like, you feel the clamor of the orcs, like the, the orcish clamor, you are immersed in it. So automatically just the noise, the noisomeness of the orcish community, you feel that already, right? Um, yeah. There's, like, yelling and whipping and, like, it's it's noisy. Yeah. And you kind of got that like in the Jackson films too, but it was more like uh, in the Jackson films, like I got, you got heavy um, hitting hammer on metal, like you, forging sounds and then like screaming, mm. like orcs screaming or whatever. This was right. a little different. It was like just noise. It was so noisy all around you. You can't even necessarily make out the specific noises. It's just like it's such a clamor. Uh, kind of like if you were unconscious and you didn't know what was going on, it was just a din constantly around, you know? It was perfect because Arondir's sort of disoriented yes. and it adds, it so contributes to that feeling of him waking up not knowing what's going on. Oh, and you get the, the fuzzy camera so where like you are seeing what he is seeing, right? Where he's mm-hmm. can't quite see clearly and like he looks up and there's that moment, like one in particular that stands out where he's looking up and there's like another side tunnel and there's a couple of orcs, like even like a little orc. Like maybe an orc child it almost looks like that stands and looks back at him and mm-hmm. he's looking at the orc. And it's like, I don't know what the significance of that shot was or if that will ever play it another role in the future. But it was like kind of bizarre. There was like a bizarreness and to it that disoriented me as a viewer. And I thought it was so effective. And like the the orcs, like you get really close up and they're like zooming in. And things feel a little warped. And mm-hmm. I was like, this they're using cinematography to put the viewer into the mind of the space that Arundir is in where he's disoriented and it is super effective. I, you know, oh, and it's so different it's from Jackson's approach, which I love, so but it, it's, it's, it, I loved it. I really, really loved it. Yes. I loved it. I love the emphasizing that these orcs can't be in sunlight. They need to be sheltered from yeah. sunlight. Yeah. I love the way they look with the, you know, the mask over there. The prosthetics too. The, Yes, the prosthetics are perfect. I love the use of the animal skulls. Yeah, that's so um, creepy. It's so creepy. Man, it's like True Detective. Do you remember True Detective? Did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah, yes. It, it was a little bit like that. It me. was, yeah. The whole feeling is so good. And the whole that whole um, storyline that Arondir goes through this time is heartbreaking. Yeah. I mean, it's absolutely heart-shattering. Well, he gets there and he finally realizes where he is and he, and he walks out. And he's not the only elf there. He sees mm-hmm. his buddy. He sees his captain, which I asked as a viewer, like, I didn't understand how, like, it makes you wonder how they also got captured. So Arendir got captured because he went mm-hmm. to the tunnel and went in there himself. And then, you know, he basically walked himself into a trap, right? Yeah. Um, but they've gone from village to village. Right, right. That's what That's, they say. They're going from village to village. They're looking for something. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah. 
They're and, looking for something. But I want. We don't know what yet. We don't know. What. We don't know what. We don't know what. There are theories. We can say those on this show. Go for it. Not, Go for it. Yeah. People think it's he's looking for the the sword, the right. the the sword that Theo has, which we didn't even talk about that the last episode, right? Which is such an oversight. Well, because that uh, was that was such a weird moment, honestly. The moments with Theo and the sword, with his like, blood igniting the. the I oh, yeah, I thought that was part was cool. It was the the editing was so weird because in the moment where he finds it, mm-hmm. uh, we're going back to the last episode here. But he finds the the sword, and the friend reaches out to touch it, and he like yells at him. And then there's like a knock at the door, so like someone's coming in. So he tells his friend to leave, and his friend runs out because they're gonna get caught. But then Theo stands there and just doesn't move and continues to stare at the sword. And then the shot just ends. So like, was someone coming in? Like. Those little things, I didn't understand what was happening. And then later, when the the blood goes up and into the the, the sword drinks his blood, um, sort of an obvious homage to Gurthang in the first age, which I don't think that's what the sword is, but it kind of is reminiscent of it. The sword that craves blood. Um, uh, you know, and the sword starts to rematerialize like a reverse Morgul blade. And then his mom calls him, you know, Theo, and then he just like walks out. And it's, I, I don't understand, like... The, the scene gets interrupted. We cut away. So what did the sword stop materializing for some reason? I, we don't understand. I don't understand what happened in that shot. So that like those shots were, were under the umbrella of like, you know, editing that didn't quite work for me in those first couple episodes, you know? So, yeah, no, I totally agree. That was, that was a little, that was very confusing. Anyway, back to our, yeah, back to episode three. <laughs> yes. Back to a Um, it's, <sighs> Yeah, just getting into that like orcish concentration camp was so. It, there's like yeah. such a sinister quality about these orcs, so different. As it you brings said, from you the into the orcish like the orcish community in a way that we haven't seen before. Like we obviously saw Merry and Pippin being captives of the orcs while they were on the run, and so that was like a bit of a glimpse because mm-hmm. you see them like the way the orcs fight over dinner, and so you get some of that. But this felt different, like seeing the orcs enslave other people. And yes, there were like women like. and children there. It was yeah. so intense. It was such an intense uh, storyline start to finish. And I feel like we should just continue with his storyline so we can move on to, you know, other things. But um, I loved the, the action sequence where, yeah. he, you know, he says he's going to cut down the tree. Um, and then he, sa- he says like a prayer sort of who like speaks to the tree and sort of apologizes <laughs> right right well, he says something it down. in elvish like yeah, basically please forgive me is what the translation is i saw on twitter it's like please please forgive, forgive me, me. Like yeah um and then he d- you know does a couple cool elvish tricks and i thought those were perfect those, do those were really yeah well do those done. work for you like cause, totally yeah, yes me too. totally work for me great not over the top believable right. Because we're all kind of on edge. Like, is this going to be another, like, Legolas running up rocks moment? Or, you know, and it's it's delicate because he is running across a chain, right? It, it could have felt the exact same in terms of ridiculousness. But just the way they edited it, the way it looked, it, it just seemed like an incredible acrobatic feat. But within the realm of believability, right? And it, right. I thought it looked Absolutely. perfect. Using the, friend... the chains against the orcs to pull them out uh, and then to, you know launch himself and cut off cut the 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 log or whatever that was holding up the shade for all of them to, to expose them to the sun very good strategy by Aaron yeah oh it was great um geez his friend dying was so tragic when the work cuts the yeah I w- so I want to talk about that actually 
I thought that that was so sinister. And this was a side of orcs that I hadn't seen before. It was cleverly uh, malevolent. You know, yeah. these orcs aren't just brutal. They're not dumbly brutal. This orc was clever. Let me, yeah. you know, because the other orcs are like yelling and yelling and he says, no, 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 stop. I appreciate your, your gumption or, you know, uh, it's not what he says. But that's kind of the idea. Right. Let me give you some, you've earned yourself some water, like pretending to be nice. Yeah. And everyone knows this is BS. There's, what's the trick of this? So, you know, the, the watch warden thinks it's poison, right? So he's very careful when he drinks it. He's like, oh no, it's water and hands it around. This is all just a clever ploy to put them at ease and then just to kill a guy. You know, know, it's so shocking. It was so shocking. And so that's a like uh, that that perfectly illustrated the evilness of these orcs and put it on another level from what we've seen, which in the Jackson films were just like they were brutish. They were very they were brutes. Mm-hmm. These orcs are cool. um, cruel and like psychologically cruel as well as physically cruel. They're not just whipping you physically. They are hurting you psychologically. They're going to mess with you. You know, right. they're gonna, I'm going to kill your friend. I'm going to put you at ease and then I'm going to kill your friend just to hurt you, you know? Yeah. Um, oh, it was so awful. savage. So savage. Um, Not over the just, top in terms of gore, though. No. I mean, it was definitely gruesome. Like, with the ward coming out and eating someone. And, yeah. You know, you see, you see more. It's a little more gory. And we saw a little more violence in this episode than I think the fandom is necessarily used to. Right. I right. didn't think that it was over the top. I thought it was probably just right. Definitely PG-13. Right. Like, one thing that made a difference to me was, like, when we see the, the elf's neck get cut, you know, you... You see it get sliced. You see that it's like in slow-mo and you see the skin very slowly just start yes. to break open. Oh. But then they cut away. Then they cut away. Yes. And it is very impactful. Like it's very dramatic yes. and it's it's horrifying to look at. But it's not gory. It's not right. dwelling on the blood. Like if this were Game of Thrones, there would have been spurting, you know. Oh, it would have been something yeah. gruesome and disgusting. It would show the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. So it just goes to show you can have very, very impactful and horrifying uh, yes. violence in a show without actually showing sometimes the less is the more people sometimes yeah. less is more yeah. um yeah so i feel like we need to get to numenor well before before we get to numenor i think the, the tree you already touched on it but yeah i just want to dwell on the fact that i think this show this episode because of the the tree thing and other stuff that happens it may, really made me appreciate that this show is trying to do something that other shows don't do which is they're really trying to dwell on high-minded themes. I mean, mm. a whole this whole conflict, you know, the elves are enslaved. Everyone around them is enslaved. Yeah, we'll dig your hole for you. We'll do all this grunt labor. We're not going to fight back. Cut down a tree? Now that's going too far. You know, and the whole conflict is, is uh, incited by the orcs' demand that they cut down this big, beautiful tree. Right. And... Th- Obviously, what a Tolkienian concept. Tolkien loved trees. That's why he created Treebeard and the Ents. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Willow uh, or Old Man Willow. So, um, you know, and it wasn't over the top. It's not. It it works. It fits in perfectly. It's very subtle. um, But it's just thematically so Tolkienian and so perfectly done. And when that moment when Aranda is standing looking out over the destruction of the land. Yeah. And like you feel that moment. You feel his, his... 
horror at that scene that he's witnessing. Yeah, um, you can see it turning into mortar, right? With the noxious fumes starting to come up and all the trees. Yes. So reminiscent of what we see in Isengard in the Jackson right. films. And well, so and just earlier in the that. scene, oh, it's, so, it's like early Plains of Gargaroth, right? Before it becomes Plains of Gargaroth. And uh, the watchword is like, all right, someone get up to the top and then find the nearest tree line, right? Again, like the elves, their salvation is trees. Look for trees. Right. That's where safety is. And then he gets up there. There ain't no tree line. You know, yeah. Not anywhere close. All the trees have been felled. And that's the horror of that moment is the, yeah. the fact that there's no trees in, anywhere. And I just, this show is just nailing that those themes and doing it in a subtle way. And I just so appreciate that they are making that work because you don't you know, see that You know, I'm so TV. relieved. I'm so relieved because uh, honestly, after the first episode, I felt like they were, it was like a sledgehammer with the theme. It was like a sledgehammer of like, which light do I follow? Boom, right, boom. Right, right. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it, it, you have to show, not, don't tell. Show, don't tell. Right? And they told. In that and they told episode. us. That I felt like they were bludgeoning me with it. So I'm glad right. that there's now the show is redeeming itself for me. Yeah. And I'm just so, so happy about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 What What did you think of the warg, by the way? Like the CGI of the warg? Oh, I thought it was great. Yeah. yeah. I thought it was pretty good, too. I, I really like the wargs from like the Lord of the Rings. I, I was me, a, too. Th- those yeah. were good. The design. This was a little different. Very savage. Like, again, it made me like, feel like. Because the wargs, just like the goblins and orcs in the Lord of the Rings, it's like, all right, we'll we'll kill a million of them, no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, this warg seemed tough to deal with, you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and I always had a thing for wargs ever since the Hobbit. Like I always remember them as one of those fascinating creatures, one of the many, uh, uh, many like bizarre and scary creatures that are in Middle Earth that you find, and I like that they're being featured here. Yes, and effective to just have one, right? Just one. Yeah. They're yeah. doing that a lot, introducing these things just one at a time. A little at a time, a little at a time. And Arendir does not get out. He does not get out of, of the pit. Oh, know? it's awful. That moment, again, that use of slow-mo, like I said, where he's pulled in slow-mo back into the pit. You're just like, no. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah. also think about like the conventional approach to Arendir's plotline would have been uh, because we saw uh, we saw it in the previews in the trailers. All right, orcs are attacking the town. We know that an orc gets in with Bronwyn, and, and so like, think what's the obvious thing? Well, Bronwyn's going to get captured. Arendir, the super elf, is going to come in and save the day. And there's going to be some sweet action where he's saving saving the day. And they totally flip that on its head. Arendir yeah. is the one who gets captured, and yeah. he does some awesome stuff. Like you can see that elves individually are superior than orcs, but two of his or like one of his. Two of his elf buddies, including his elf boss, get killed, and he still remains captured. Like, despite all their athleticism and superiority, they're still in the grips of the orc machine, and the orc machine is very powerful. Right. And, you know, not to mention, people were so obsessed with, like, oh, I don't want to see this Arondir, Bronwyn love story play out. We're really not. It's really um, more focused on their individual plot lines, but also. Okay, so we have to get to the end of this section. Adar, we did not get to even meet him. It was such a tease to have a whole episode named Adar, and then we never, we never actually meet him. Like, who? Yeah, do we, we don't even see his face. Like, even if you're gonna do that, you would think like it would zoom in on his face, and you get like a crystal clear shot of his face, and then end it. Like, if you're gonna do what they did, but they didn't even do that. We just still see his like shady, hazy silhouette. No, and, and then they end it. But that's Wild. very tricksy. I love it. I actually love that I love that. it too. Very tricksy. We still don't know who he is. Is he Sauron? Is he I don't think he's Sauron. I, but I, I don't think that they're Sauron and the reason I think 
I've never thought he was Sauron, but in the show, they're hinting at it being Sauron because the elves speculate that. That's what they explicitly say, like, Sauron had many names. Maybe this is one of his names. And so, but it, yeah, it can't be. Yeah, because a, of that fact, it it's, cannot It's the be. first thing that the characters in the story are suggesting to us, so it can't be that, right? It can't be that, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> they have to subvert expectations. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Adar, they confirmed, and we already kind of knew this from leaks beforehand, it's an elvish word. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't. I don't think they said what it was. What it said. We know it means father, but um, I don't think that's been revealed in the show yet. Um, but that's just that's interesting. That is a curiosity. It's like another little mystery. So I think they're they're planting all these seeds of mystery very subtly in there. Like even if you're not a crazy Tolkien person or been like paying attention mm-hmm. to the leash, leaks, like if you're paying attention to the show, you'd notice that. Like oh, it's an Elvish word. Like that's interesting. And yeah. they're they're kind of just like Could raising all these elf? little flags yeah. for the audience. Yep, yep. Yeah. Little hints. Little hints. So let's let's go to the the big new world that we've been introduced Ugh. to. I, this is what I've been waiting for, and I was yeah. not disappointed. You love you you actually liked it then. You liked it. Oh, I loved it. Just, Are you I'm kidding? Just kidding? I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, it was so bad. They like so dumb. They I know. Could you was. could you even imagine? I can't even imagine who would have gripes with this place. It was perfect. Like everything from. Well, we meet Elendil the first time, and yeah. man, that voice, that buttery smooth voice, I could just listen to, like, it verges on, have you heard yeah. of, like, ASMR? It verges on yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, like, almost hypnotic. It's a perfect voice. Yeah. Uh, I've been, so I good. enjoy listening to, to Lloyd Owens in interviews just because his yeah. voice is so oh my gosh. voluptuous. It really is so good. <laughs> um, but he was great. He was perfect, like, hitting all the right notes. I love the scene where they meet him for the first time and he has her dagger and you're just not sure like there's the yeah. play on like is she going to be a cap a prisoner or a guest like we're not really sure how this is going to go down. And we're still not sure even at the end of the episode, right? Sure, we're yeah, we don't know. Um I love the Numenor theme, the musical theme. It it's like yeah. it sounds very Mediterranean to me. Yeah. I like the use of drums. I like I don't know what that instrument is, the slidey instrument. I was going to research, but Oh, it has a name and it's it's escaping me. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, I thought the music was wonderful and on point. The visuals are obviously so stunning. There's so much history just in that city. So many little Easter eggs for fans um, within the city. If you look closely at the statues uh, and right, right. seeing the civilization at the height of its grandeur is is so cool like i loved all the numenor shots and i loved all the shots on the beach were so beautiful of the surrounding area just stunning i think this was shot in new zealand this portion um for the most part right um well you mentioned the beach so i'll get to so i have two gripes about numenor uh one was i th- i thought the beach shot of them riding horses like i actually laughed out loud of like the close up of Galadriel like smiling, like well, I wish they wouldn't have maniacally. Spent so much... Honestly, well, <laughs> I loved the slow mo of her dress billowing and the slow mo of the horses. I think they lingered a little too long on her face. I think the purpose of that shot was to say, like, give us, give us a little bit more of Galad. Like, here's the Galadriel where she's happiest, like on horseback. A joyful moment for Galadriel to juxtapose it right. with all the moments of her being like an intense warrior like on a mission so i appreciated that but i right. i think they did linger right. a she little can find too... joy in something 
Yeah, I think they did been... linger a little too long on the face, the slow mo right. face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just the editing of that long. shot. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, it's it's over in a yeah. blink. It's fine. Like, <laughs> I just kind of giggled a little bit. It just didn't work for me. Um, but the the more uh legitimate gripe, I guess. So I obviously adore the design of the city, everything in the set. Mm-hmm. That can perfectly communicates. Oh, these men are like a, definitely a higher order of men than the Southlanders, right? We've seen the Southlanders. They're like the grungiest version of medieval humans you can imagine. They're all wearing these like gross skull caps. They're all extremely dirty. They all have red splotches. That's Which the Southlanders. Yeah. You go to Numenor, and instead of like living in thatched huts, they they have the this beautiful architecture. My issue is architecture is all great. Perfectly conveys the difference between Numenorians and and Middle Earth humans. Uh, the actual Numenorians themselves, to me, didn't seem different enough. Like, I... And maybe this is a choice. Like, maybe you don't want to just cast a bunch of, like, tall, beautiful people as Numenorians. But what we saw of the actual Numenorians, like, the only interaction we we really had other than with royalty was Halbrand getting in a, like, basically a bar fight with some Numenorian bullies. And there's, you know, the Numenorians aren't, particularly good looking like one of them's wearing a skull cap like the same type of skull cap that we saw in the Southlander among the Southlanders it, it just didn't seem like much of a difference it was just kind of like all men are the same these men just live in really really nice houses in comparison hmm. you know well i thought like i thought they spoke differently although halbrand like halbrand is really confusing because he's he's a confusing character i think purposefully cuz he is really really well-spoken and articulate you see it when he's like before the queen and he's like what the elf means to say and he's he's like charming in a way that a lot of the other humans that we saw weren't which you know indicates that he's not right. actually like just some basic southlander um but which yeah we'll learn I mean, more about in the episode obviously yeah 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 and we'll definitely get to that but it didn't it didn't really bother me i didn't notice that as much um i think there's enough of a distinction from like the royalty that we saw and um, they're the way that they dress and things like that. But yeah, um, I loved watching Cynthia Adai Robinson as uh, Muriel. Oh, yep. she's so good, so commanding, such a presence on screen. I was very surprised by her back and forth with Galadriel. Now, yes. now I have a theory, and it makes sense. But I was so surprised at the yeah, hostility between, between those two. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. So let's get into all that lore stuff because I think you and I were both, we haven't talked about this yet, but I'm betting we were both very, very surprised yes. at the Numenor we're introduced to in terms of- Yes, the timeline. You know, we've talked about who Tarmiriel is and how she's one of the faithful, right? In the book, she's one of the faithful. She does not come off that way in the show, not yet anyway, right? She is hostile Oh, but she does if you look for it. Well, right, but I'm, I'm talking about like the first layer. Right. I mean, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. The first layer, she's openly hostile in that meeting to Galadriel, and right. you know she's having these asides with Farazon where um, it's clear that they seem like they're on the same page in terms of like, hey, elves are no no bueno. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Farazon's like, we gotta we gotta get rid of this elf, and she's like, yeah, it's only one elf, and he's like, yeah, but they're the worst, and they're so they're kind of like on the same page, and so we're not seeing, and this is a question mark that we had. How are they going to depict the relationship between Muriel and Farazon? Like, are they fully at loggerheads in terms of their um, philosophical beliefs, her being of the faithful and 
him being of the the Kingsman. Like at what point is their relationship being depicted and how outward is she going to be? And um, I did not expect her to be like fully in Kingsman mode, at least in, from her like public facing persona. I think we both agree. Let's just get into it. I, I think she's one of the faithful still, but she's hiding it. Yes, she's, she's secretly she's one of the faithful, and she sends Elendil to actually protect Galadriel. And she, we know from the end of the episode, she meets with her father in the tower to say, uh-huh. like, the moment has arrived, the elf has arrived, and uh, we're, I'm in trouble of being exposed as being one of the faithful. They're That's my ple- theory. I agree, and I 100% agree with you. I, I think they're still being cagey about that, because the words are, like, the moment that we've feared has... Has arrived. arrived. That's all they say. The, yeah, and they say, and doesn't she say like the elf has come? The elf has come, which indicates Something that they have like foreseen that. an elf arriving. I am assuming through the Palantir that Muriel or Tar Palantir himself um, looked into the one of the Palantiri and foresaw that Galadriel was going to be coming. So I think that's how they know. That's where that reference is coming from. Um, why they fear that moment, I don't know, exactly know. I, I like your theory that it, it puts her at risk. It puts Muriel at risk of being exposed to the Kingsman. Um, but I don't know. It could mean something else. I, th- I, I think it also could mean something larger. Because if it's just her fear of being exposed, that's just like a purely self-preservationist um, desire. And I think there's something bigger going on there. Hmm. What could it be? What yeah, could it she be? seems to know more, and the the Palantiri we're gonna see hopefully soon, probably next episode. But um, yeah, yeah. So she was ah, uh, that whole thing was was really perfectly well done. And she's very clever because she very clever. calls Elendil into the throne room, and she's still in terms. If anybody who's listening, right, she's still got guards around. There's still people in the room. It's not a private conference with Elendil. Mm-hmm. Um. So. She's still kind of berating him and criticizing him. So if anybody were to ask what happened in that meeting, they would say, Elendil's in trouble. And she gives him this right. job. But she's to... investigating him secretly. Right. Well, I think she probably knows who she is, secret, who he is secretly. I think she's also playing coy about that. Like she asks Farazone who he is. I think, I think that's all a fake. Like if we believe that she's faking being a Kingsman and hiding her faithful stuff like i think she's i don't know that they're like really in cahoots Elendil and muriel because that exchange would have had to be a play acting on both sides and it seemed too genuine but i think she's aware of Elendil and she's playing coy um and i but she made it look like he was giving her she was giving him a, a, a like a bad job to have to guard galadriel but really at first, uh, I was like, "Is she asking him to behead her? Like, what's going on?" Well, that's what I thought on? too. I thought that's, <laughs> like, what, that's what it was too. I think her official order was like, if she tries to escape, kill her or something like that. Again, a very like aggressive sounding order. In case anybody was watching, but the true purpose of it being like, I can trust this guy, Elendil. I know, I know where his heart is. He's just going to protect her. So, things in Numenor seem worse than I expected going in. Like, I thought maybe I knew we'd be kind of far along. At a tipping point is what all the promotional materials seem to have indicated, but it almost seems like things have more or less tipped. Oh, like, they're tipped. They're the elves. You know, everyone's when she's walking through the town, the elves are all frowning down at her. She's getting these stares. Like, where are we've already arrived the at the moment yeah. where they've rejected the elvish ways? There's open hostility. Yeah. Elves have not been to their shores in many years. They're not. Yeah, Muriel says, there. "My grandfather's great grandfather 
since yes. then they, they they've been refusing the ships of the elves. So a really long time the Kingsmen have been, in, and that was that is I like that because that is consistent with the lore. We are getting a sense of history. Like they are mm-hmm. compressing the narrative, but they are still telling us that how long this age has been. So we're still getting a glimpse of that. I really appreciate it. Um, and yeah, things have things have tipped. So the the king has been forced from the throne. Not something that's ever explicitly stated in canon, but it's like I can I I can buy it as being sort of within the the blank pace spaces in the pages. Um, you know, it's it's kind of believable within the framework Tolkien gives us. And Muriel has to hide her loyalty to the elves or the old elvish ways. So very it, that creates a very very interesting possibility like narratively now we have a um the faithful are truly subversive they're a rebellion and hiding uh, all the way up to the top so i I wonder what is like are they together right now it doesn't seem like they're actually romantically entwined i wonder that she's gonna have to marry him because he'll find her out and it's going to just all go downhill from there yeah they they don't seem they don't seem romantically linked at all. Like none of their body language, and we're talking no. about Muriel and Farazon. He's Chancellor, here. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's Chancellor Farazon at this point. Yeah. So um, one thing that I found really interesting was that Farazon, when uh, Muriel asks Farazon who Elendale is, Farazon says, "Oh, he was once, uh, you know, the son of a a once. He's the son of a once great house, or something like that. Uh, mm-hmm. But now he's just a, a captain." And that is really fascinating because that is not at all what I expected uh, in the lore. Remember, it's Elendil's father, Amundil, is actually uh, still advisor to the king. Uh, even when Farazon takes power, Amundil remains advisor to the king. Uh, and their their house is actually the most powerful house in Numenor next to the throne, uh, next to the crown. I mean, their cousins, like, descended... From the line of kings, from Silmarians, like the the daughter of the third king or something. I, I'm forgetting off the top of my head the genealogy. But they're of royal lineage and closely related to the crown. So Farazon's kind of acting like, ah, I don't really know who this guy is. I mean, I, I know who he is, but like we're not close. And it's like a proud house, but not anymore. Now he's a nobody. So like how did Elendil and how did his family end up getting to this place that is there where they're basically nobodies? They're not no longer leaders of a great house, leaders of the faithful. It doesn't look like they're leaders of the faithful. It actually looks like Elendil is openly kind of, not openly, but openly to his children, kind of given up the ways of the elves, you know, given up being of the faithful. He's kind of trying to accept where Numenor is and just go go with the flow. Says Did you get that vibe as well? We have to leave the past behind. But I feel like they're very much setting up him as an Aragorn type of character where it... Um, you know, he was once great and has perhaps fallen from grace a bit. And maybe sure. there'll be some redemption there. Um, I can see that parallel for sure. I wonder yeah, how he it, fell from grace. I I think basically just, you know, he's kind of giving in. The Kingsmen have taken over. Um, and We may never get that backstory, you know. Yeah, I think we're going to get a little bit of it because I think there's an inclination, uh, an indication that you know, he has this sit down with Isildur and Yarian, and where Isildur, it seems like he has some ideas and Elendil gets wind of it. And he's like, where'd you get this? Idea? And you've been talking to your brother. So I guess Anarion is the rebellious one. I bet and you Anarion's Anarion is out there in the in the West or where he's like, where yeah, is we it? don't know. Yeah. Did they say where Anarion is? I think he's sailing like he's out sailing. 
No, but, I think he's... Oh, he's just in a different part of the island? Oh, maybe... Uh, okay, maybe I had that wrong. We'll have we'll to... Go back. We have to go and rewatch. These are hot takes, after all. Um, but in Arian, I'm, I'm getting the sense is he's kind of the black sheep. He's, like, outspoken. He's got his yeah. own uh, very uh, uh, established point of view that is kind of in conflict with Elendil's point of view at this point. And I'm going to bet that Inarion is like proudly and loudly of the faithful. Elendil is not so sure that they should be doing that anymore. Like, you know, hey, just keep it, keep Which it Which is interesting because that's not, that's not actually, that's different from the books. No, no, yeah. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no indication that anybody in Elendil's house is, that there's any sort of uh, uh, hesitation in terms of being of the faithful, any sort of questioning. But I like that they're delving into that because... That's very one-dimensional. If they're all just 100% faithful all the time, there's no questioning. Like, yeah, you on the ground level, you want to see how these characters are interacting with the political situation in Numenor. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's going to be personal relationships. They're going to have friends who are kingsmen, and there, there's going to be a, a push-pull and tug-of-war emotionally with the people that are around them that they care about. There's all kinds of ramifications of having a politically divided country. Um, and so to just say, oh, they're the faithful and there's, they never questioned it would be very uninteresting and very unrealistic. Um, so I like that we're getting some fractures in their faithfulness, uh, even within the And in the, the relationships. Family. Yeah, within the family. Yeah, yeah exactly. I liked yeah. that he has this daughter who's been accepted into the, you know, architecture guild, what, whatever it was called. Um, I thought, you know, we didn't get a whole lot from her this time. No. And so I was kind of like, huh, okay, is she just going to be sort of a throwaway character? I like what I saw. I hope we can see more. Um, right. I really loved seeing Isildur. I thought he was great. We we didn't see too much of him, but I thought the moment on the beach where she's coming towards him with the horse and you think he's going to hug her, but he goes <laughs> for the horse. That was so good. That was funny. It was, it was a nice piece of humor, yeah. It was funny, and yeah, that I was like, ah, good, some humor that that works for me. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only thing we get of Isildur is like his head is in the clouds, basically. You know, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's a thoughtful guy, and that's why I think they're setting it up for Anarion to be like super faithful. Isildur is becoming more faithful and wanting to follow after his brother. Elendil's faithful at heart. But kind of given in, and that's why he says, you know, the, we got to leave the past. The past is dead, or whatever. We got to leave the past behind. What so did you think of the big? What did you think of the big reveal of the map? It's actually Sauron's mark is actually a map, and that whole scene um, in the tower with uh, the scrolls and the history and the yeah. books. Well, first I uh, so about the map. I literally out loud while I was watching. I was like, Matt was right. Because we talked about this in our lore panel, and Matt from Nerd of the Rings last week said, like, this is my theory. And he's been very, uh, he's been a lot about it on his own channel, saying, like, my theory is that this map, if you turn it sideways, I think it's mountains, and I think it's like a map to Mordor. Wow, That wow. is a theory. And he called right it, on. just nailed it dead on. Um, so I think it's fine. Like, uh, you know, I think it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's a little bit, I have to suspend my <laughs> sense of belie- disbelief uh, for a second because... If the idea is this is a secret map to Mordor so that if any orc stumbles across it, they'll know exactly where to go. First of all, like, you would not know where to go looking at that little image. Like, it's just two peaks. Like, (laughs) that doesn't tell you which mountains they are or anything. That's not useful as a map. Also, how would an orc know what that's supposed to mean um, better than any other elf or, like, the wisest elves in the world? Like, These are very clever orcs, precious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> seriously so i i just I you know. know 
I, I'm willing to play along. I'm willing to play along. I think is a little bit, a little bit contrived, but it's fine. Like it's I not, was really important. Yeah, I was really confused at first. I had to rewatch that scene because what I thought happened was that they just like found that scroll, you know, found someone's message from a, a dungeon and they were like, oh, look here. We happened to find this while we were here. But actually they sent for, you know, someone to pull like anything right, from their records or something. It was a total coincidence. Yeah, it, it, it still was a little loosey-goosey for me of like, oh, they just went to the archives and... Look, it matches. Right. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. It was fine, I guess. Um, I thought it was cool, and I loved the painting of. I really liked the painting of Elrond and Elros, and like getting some of that lore there. I thought was really neat. I thought the painting was interesting because they don't look like twins, like remotely. No. El Elros has a full-on beard. He has different colored hair. Like I, I think that in the show they're just not going to be twins. Yeah, they're just brothers, not twins. They're just maybe. they're just brothers. Yeah. And Elros had facial hair, so mm -hmm. go back to our uh, "Do Numenorians Have Beards?" episode, which is like I think like one of the last episodes we did before the actual show actually dropped, um, debating whether or not Numenorian kings had had beards. And uh, you know, book lore wise, we more on the side of well, they probably didn't have beards because they descended from Elros. Elros was an elf or at least half-elven, so didn't have facial hair. That's a very strong, important characteristic, physical characteristic of elves. So they're, like, just fully departing from that. And the, basically, the way they're distinguishing between elves and men is elves got no facial hair, men got facial hair. And, like, most of the men had facial hair. They're in, just in keeping the, it simple. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a visual, it's a visual cue. I get it. I mean, I get it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so moving on to more more of Numenor just yeah Numenor perfect for me Halbrand I feel like we have to talk about Halbrand a little bit oh yeah that was one of the big the big moments was the the reveal of Halbrand's heritage backstory. yeah and they don't spill the beans on who his ancestors are but you know in book readers uh lorehounds like us would know exactly who it is if you've read the Silmarillion um it's well I'm 99% sure, and click away if you don't want to have the spoiled listener, but I'm 99% sure that this is Ulfang, chieftain of the Easterlings, who uh, in the in the first age pretended to ally with the elves, but was actually blood sworn to Morgoth and betrayed the elves at a key moment. Uh, it was actually the sons of Ulfang were the, the real real baddies. Um, betrayed the elves at a key moment, and allowed, which allowed Morgoth to win. And so I think we can pretty clearly say that that's who his ancestor is because Halbrand says, you know, these Numenorians, if I'm remembering it right, he's like, these Numenorians, uh, you know, fought against Morgoth. You know, my ancestors almost, you know, fought against Morgoth to win the war. My ancestors almost lost the war or something to that effect. And so basically credit, crediting his ancestors. And she's like, and we started the war. I mean, kind of. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So it's like, all right, his ancestor is the one that basically almost uh, won the war for Morgoth. Yeah, that's that's got to be Ulfang or someone in that line. So uh, um, who do we there's... think he is? I mean, does he become people have all kinds of theories that he's going to become Sauron or he's going to become a Nazgul or, you know. I mean, I think he'll be a surprising character. I think he may go yeah. to the dark side. We'll see. I do think we are going to get Haladriel. I no, am, I'm no, I'm still, we are. No. 
Nope, we nope, are. Nope. There's been so many hints that way. Like he think- in this episode, he like pulls her really close and gives her the dagger. There's an unmistakable like tension there, romantic the- tension there. That's it. Like leaps example- off the screen. Exactly, and they make it so obvious, which is why I think they're not gonna go there. They're inviting the audience to think that that's gonna happen. I don't think it's ever gonna come to fruition. Like it's never gonna hmm. pay off. Maybe I, I because. That moment, like he pulls her close, but and and she kind of looks at him a little bit, like stunned, like "What are you doing?" I and think they're just, gonna go there, and it's not gonna work out. It's absolutely I, not gonna work out. Right. We already have this bet, and oh yeah, we already did sock, this. Sorry, so. all right. Well, we we won't do a repeat of this conversation then. But <laughs> I liked that reveal at the end with Halbrand. I was like, "There's got to be more to this guy. There's got to be more to this story. He can't just be the like yeah. cheeky, cute guy who's no. with her a lot." Um, so I was glad that there was a little more black backstory revealed. I think it makes yeah. him obviously much more interesting. Um, yeah, he'll have a more significant role to play down the road. Um, and it's you know it's awfully convenient that she bumped into him on a raft in the middle of the ocean. But then you remember like chance meetings are a very important theme in Tolkien. Uh, chance, if chance yes, you call it, chance meetings. you know, that's uh, basically fate. And Gladriel alludes to that almost very explicitly. Like it's not fate or destiny; it's something bigger. Um, you know, there's something else at work here. And so I, I like that, you know, it can be a bit of a, they got to be careful with that. Like doing things that are totally seem like chance and saying, well, it's, it's fate. You know, that's the hand of Iluvatar. They've already kind of done that a a lot. Right. I mean, in the next plot line that we'll talk about with the Harfoots with Meteor Man, like she was, Nori believed she was meant to meet the Meteor Man. Right. 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 That's she's fated to meet him. So one, um, more, one more thing on Halbrand before we move on from him. I, I think they're setting him up kind of as a reverse Aragorn, right? He is, he is the heir of the king, right? Long lost king. Theo's buddy is like, when our king returns, right? So there's this, uh, I guess, tradition, long held tradition among the Southlanders that they, they have a king in exile or something somewhere there's, that may return, that some of them are holding out hope that he'll return. And Halbrand is that king. Uh, but he's a kid. He doesn't want that, right? He doesn't believe himself to be the king. He's not chasing that fate. He's just trying to find peace somewhere else. That kind of is similar. It parallels the version of Aragorn we get in the films. It's not yeah, Aragorn true. from the books, yeah. uh, who embraces that role. Uh, his his role as king. But in the movies, uh, Aragorn is reluctant, and so Halbrand's kind of very much very similar in that respect. But I don't think. I mean. I think we can agree things aren't going to work out well. No, I, no, nobody thinks. At least he's, by he's the third this... age, the Easterlings aren't good. They, they ain't good guys. No, he's got a little nefarious streak to him. He's going to be the golem that you want to redeem himself, but just doesn't. That's what yeah, I see. He's the pickpocket king, right? Apparently he's really good at picking pockets. Yeah, pickpocket. With the yeah, the scene where he beats up all those guys. Which, oh my gosh! Yeah, what's going on there? More, he's like super. It was more violent than we're used to seeing. Not like yeah, he lost over it. the top again, but like he beat the hand to hand combat was surprising a little bit to me. Yeah, to like punching he out to- all these guys. He totally lost his temper. I mean, yeah, he snaps a guy's arm in half. You That's see like the darkness gruesome. there, like you see the yeah. dark, like him becoming ignited and like beating the crap out of these guys. Of course, well, self defense before. But- we saw him, yeah, like self-defense, but he was kind of in a situation of his own making, right? That's <laughs> right, yeah. Steal something. Um, and but moments before, we saw him control his temper and instead buy everybody drinks. And he was very charming. And everybody's slapping him on the yeah. back. Oh, you're all right, you know, new guy. And he's everybody's buddy. 
Um, but then, of course, he tried to steal something, so they pissed him off. He's a deceiver. Yeah. He loses it and just beats the crap out of everyone, which, mm-hmm. man, those Southlanders can fight, apparently. Yeah. Makes sense. They're kind of gruff people. Um, yeah. So I feel like we have to get to the Hobbits before Harfoots. we wrap up because Harfoots. Yes. Let's get to them quickly. Uh, I We didn't get too much. This Not much happened this time. I did really enjoy the Harfoot scenes. Not as much, probably, because I was just so absorbed by Numenor and seeing that. But um, I really, really loved when... Um, you're hearing the names of those they've left behind. I thought that was like a really sad and touching moment, like such a window into Hobbit culture. It was like awful because you're like, wait, did they leave these people behind? Did they were those who fell behind? Did they die? Um, that was really so that, sad. It it played very sadly. Like the acting was great. They cut to people. They did like close ups. People are like tearing up. It's emo- it's clearly it's clearly being portrayed as like a really emotional part of their heritage. Something didn't quite sit right with me. <clears throat> you know, we, we hear in, like, the first episode where Nori's mother is saying what the difference is between Harfoots from other We have each cultures. other, yeah. We have each other. We are all about No one walks alone. Together. No yeah. one walks alone except people who are injured or are too slow. And get, you know, we will leave them behind for sure. We'll be sad about it, though. You know, we'll, we'll you know, pour yeah, one out for our homies. Make, yeah, that was that was a little contradictory um like i get that they're migratory and that being able to move is important but you know they have carts like people can ride in carts kind of ruthless like, to be like <laughs> yeah totally ruthless Ruthless, like, and you don't yeah and hobbits are not out. ruthless that's like missing the mark a little bit that's yeah that's and what it's, we, it's yeah it's totally twisted then for them to like very sadly say, oh, these people that got left behind. They didn't get left behind. You well, some left of them, them died. Some of yeah, them yeah, did yeah. die though. No, they no, were naming sure. some like the dead. They're dead and fallen. Yeah. Like some got like eaten by a wolf and Yes. You know, Avalanche sure. killed um yeah. Poppy's family, I think we learned. Right. Or something right. like that. Um Yeah, and then the I did like the resolution that okay. Meteor Man is going to pull them, help them, caravan. Right. saves the day. Yeah, if you have a giant, might as well use them to pull your pull your cart. That is like a pretty obvious solution. Yeah. Because oh, sure. was he riding in the cart the whole time? Uh, people said <laughs> but, that, but I don't think so. I think he was like following. I, okay. I think that's so silly of that he would be in the cart. It would make no sense. It would, but it seemed like the cart moved and it seemed like he was getting out of it. I don't know. That's That was what the visual cues told me, but you could be uh, right. I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me, but no, <laughs> I was glad that they were sort of on the back burner just a little bit with this, with this episode. Yeah. Well, uh, they had one of my favorite, uh, Easter eggs though. Easter egg moments. Okay. Uh, oh, well when they asked like, um, I forget what, what is the, the head of the Harfoot clan? What's that character's name? Not, I keep wanting to say Sunny, but it's Hold not. Hold on. Sadduck? Sadduck. 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 Sadduck, Sadduck. Yeah. okay. Uh, when Sadduck is like, they ask him, you know, what is he? Uh, uh, the stars that turn into, is a star that turned into a man? And he's like, I've never heard of a star that turned into, into a creature. I've heard of creatures that turn into stars or men that turn into stars. Yeah, how do they Did know that? that? I mean, yes. Because it's a reference to the Arendelle, right? Yeah, and but somehow, how would the Hobbit know that? Yeah. 
Well, I like that because I mean, I, I kind of asked the same thing, but I like that because the myth of Yarendale could just like make its way somehow hmm. outside of the Elvis. And they are travelers. The they are travelers. They just kind of hear it, and he's it's. They don't all know about it, but Sadak has heard of it. You know, it's just sort mm-hmm. of this myth he's heard of as a, the a leader. Of. Sure. Yeah. So yeah. I like that, and it's just a nod to book readers. And we talked about you know in our what was it, like our five element test for good adaptations. One of them was effective use of Easter eggs to engage mm-hmm. the super fan that will know those deep cuts. And I think they're just lots crushing, lots. crushing that element. And they're not, they're not, uh, they don't jump out at you. They're not distracting. They are seamless. You know, the average person uh, won't be distracted by them. It won't disrupt the story. The story works on its own, mm-hmm. but it just adds a little extra something. If you this, happen to know what that's referencing. This episode was the perfect ex- prime example of that prime example it was perfect the only yeah uh, the note i'll end on is what did you think about their the um sort of the phrase that they the catchphrase that the seafarers in numenor the sea guild has for about the sea the sea is never wrong or is it the sea is always right the sea is always right right. (laughs) yeah it's the sea is always right i like the 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 theme i guess or the notion that they would have that sort of catchphrase they're a seafaring people i like the idea that they would have some sort of almost sea worship right i mean they did kind of worship uh ose not ose who's ose's wife ose is the the Maiar who's like the right hand of uh ulmo ulmo is the valor of the sea ose is like his right hand he's the more tumultuous one and causes storms Osei has a a lady friend Maiar who calms the waters and they like worship her so it, I like the idea that they sort of incorporate some element of sea worship even if they're not naming the Valar yet um, so the sea is always right I enjoyed that I don't like the actual structure of the phrase the sea is always exactly. right somehow feels didn't like too it modern. That was the only issue that I had. Again, it's a language issue. I had a big issue yeah. with that. It just did yeah. not sound like something Tolkien would have written. Um, and it, it, yeah, it didn't sound right. It didn't pass the test for me. So our challenge yeah. is to come up with what they would. I loved, again, as just as you said, I love that they have a phrase that they repeat. I think that totally makes sense culturally. That totally tracks. But yeah, it didn't work for me at all. So ready, set. Go come up with a phrase that they should have said. Oh, uh, you want me to come up with a phrase right now? Hmm. I will too. Uh, okay. Boy, I have mine. Ready. Go ahead. All right, go. <laughs> okay. Mine is the sea will give, the sea will take away. Hmm. The sea will it's give, kind of, comma, the sea will take away. It's almost kind of ominous. But, but it's true. It is true. They're mortals, again. And it sort of imbues the sea with a sort of deification that the sea gives and takes, that your fate is tied to the sea and that you are subject to the sea's whims. I like that. Okay. All right, mine is, the sea is a nasty bitch. <laughs> How's, Will somebody please hire this guy to write the the script for the next <laughs> season? How's that for an archaic, huh? <laughs> that was our great. Nothing modern about that phrase. <laughs> that 
Well, thanks everybody for coming along for the ride on episode three. This was by far, you know, my favorite. I can't wait to see more. I'm waiting with bated breath. Um, please do tune in Sunday, 1130 a.m. for our two panel discussions. So first up, spoiler-free panel with all newbies to the show and newbies who've never read the books. Uh, I'll be leading that discussion. Second, a panel of experts who are going to go deep into the lore. You're definitely going to want to hear it. Uh, again, we have raffle. We have art, we've got food, um, we have all these fun, you know, live call-in elements. It's a big party. We had so much fun last week, so please, if you didn't catch it, you can tune in this week. And you can check out Fellowship of Fans' YouTube channel um, if you do want to watch it retroactively. Um, it is, a, I should explain, it is a collaboration with Fellowship of Fans. You watch Party yeah. and Fellowship of Fans collaboration. And we'll be raffling off some art by Emily Austin, who is also being featured in the 2023 official Tolkien calendar. Uh, and in addition to a big, nice print of one of her pieces, your choice from her store, uh, you can also get some bookmarks and a Hobbit hold necklace. That'll be part of the package that's being raffled off. And uh, she has graciously added a discount code to her store. I think it's 20% off. off the check, check our Twitter, but it's 20% off. And uh, I'm blanking on the the code itself. I think it's um, FOF Watch Party. So it's the same as the hashtag for the Watch Party. So FOF Watch Party is the code, discount code. Go to her store, you know, gobble up all the goodies for gifts. It's great. She has great stuff. By the way, post your pictures with hashtag FOF Watch Party um, and we may feature you in our live stream. So please and do that. We'll, we'll give away at least one shirt to someone who sends us like a picture of their food or their home watch party. Or your um, cosplay. Any Whoa, of the above. Please, cosplay. Cosplay, yeah, we food. Love seeing, seeing that stuff. Or your drink. Cocktail. And pay attention to our Twitter. We'll be putting out, you know, if you're listening to this like first thing when we release it, Saturday morning, um, you will probably be in time to check out our Twitter for trivia. And uh, if you get the trivia correct, then you will be in line to win another shirt, an Eldar Millennial shirt. So we're having a lot of fun with that. So yeah, join us on Sunday for the live stream. It's very, very interactive, very fun. We'll just be you know, right here with you watching the show all season long. So until next time, Jen, take us out. May the wind under your wings bear you where the sun sails and the moon walks. Greetings and welcome back to Watch Party, Lord of the Rings, where we look at Amazon through the lens of adaptation. Hmm. <laughs>